0: let's look together this morning in Philippians chapter 4. This morning we have a little bit shorter section than what we've been tackling together. So this morning we're just going to look at the first three verses of this chapter. And as I'm about to read this, remember that this is just a portion of a letter from home. This is God's Word to you. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Let's pray together. Oh well, Lord our God, we are here because the lies that we often are told, the lies that we often believe, the lies that we often want to buy are just empty. We need to be reminded that our hope is in you. We need to be renewed in the fact that you are our rock and our salvation that you do care about our lives that you do care about us and that you have done something about it so help us Lord today to remember that your word not only gives life and how desperately we need that but your word also has power to heal and to restore to challenge and convict and encourage It is indeed like a lamp that we can carry with us to help us walk each and every day. So Lord, act on us. If we need to be made alive, then bring us to life. If we need to be encouraged, then encourage us. If we need to be challenged, challenge us, whatever it is. Lord, have your way with us. We're your people. We need you. We pray this in the name of our Jesus our Savior, our Redeemer. Amen. What does it mean? Here's the question we're going to look at this morning. What does it mean to walk with Jesus daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, when it's hard? Last week we looked at the question, what does it mean to walk with Jesus all the time? This week we're going to add a little bit to it. What does it mean to walk with Jesus when it's hard? Now I realize that you might be sitting there thinking I know the answer. This is not a Q&A as if you've read the textbook and I want a textbook answer. This is really about looking at our lives, looking at your life, looking at my life and thinking about what do we do when things get hard? What do we do? What do you do? Maybe sometimes you run. Something that's really difficult. A circumstance is very challenging that you weren't expected. It catches you off guard. What do you do? Sometimes we run, don't we? Sometimes we don't just run. Sometimes we just keep our heads down and just keep going. One foot in front of the other. Keep going. Sometimes we think to ourselves, well, I will just white knuckle my way through this one. Right? Right? At other times, perhaps we think to ourselves, or we need to form better habits. Sometimes we can even think, and sometimes, unfortunately, we're taught this. Well, I just need to have more faith. As if the hard that's going on in my life is a result of my faith or lack of faith. So when something hard is going on, that's God actually telling me, oh, well, you just don't have enough faith. Unfortunately, we've heard that before. Unfortunately, maybe we've even tried to live that way. Unfortunately, sometimes our response to when things are hard is just think, I just need to believe more. At other times, perhaps, we just get cynical. Maybe when things get hard for you, you detach. When you pull away from people, from situations, you just detach. Sometimes we think to ourselves, and we could add a lot more to this, maybe we just operate in terms of karma. Well, this is really hard right now, but if I just hang in there and do the right thing, everything will end up working out just fine it won't last this way it won't be this way forever i just need to stay in there because of karma well i want you to know that god gives us a much different answer to this question god gives us a much different answer to the question what does following jesus look like when things get hard when it's difficult god's answer to this question is actually found in this text that we looked at this morning and i've read to you it's found in verse 1 God's answer is this, stand firm. What does walking with Jesus look like when things get hard? It looks like standing firm, standing firm. Now you might hear that and initially think to yourself, oh, I know what that means. That means dig my heels in. That's not it at all. When God says stand firm, he's not talking about digging your heels. It's actually more like God saying, keep going. Standing firm looks an awful lot like continuing to move forward. You see, when God says stand firm, he's not so much addressing our feet as he is addressing our heart. Standing firm has the bullseye of our heart. God wants us to stand firm. He wants us to be anchored in our hearts no matter what happens. Now you might think to yourself, well, how in the world did the Apostle Paul get here? How did God get here to tell us to stand firm? You see, we have the whole reason why standing firm makes sense. Paul gives us the entire reason as to why it makes sense to stand firm. That's why this chapter begins with this word, therefore. The whole reason why God wants us to stand firm, even when it's hard, is because of everything that's true that we've looked at together in chapter 3. Everything. Now if you're like me, we have a tendency to forget what we just talked about last week. And if you're brand, brand new here and haven't heard that at all, then we need to make sure we review and think about it because it matters. Don't hear that as Dave saying that you need to remember my sermon every week. I don't even remember my sermons every week. But the whole reason why God says to stand firm is because of everything that's true in chapter 3. So let's review together. Let's dig down some more. Remember the first nine verses of chapter 3, God is telling us through the Apostle Paul how desperately and completely we need the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, oftentimes we, we, we think to ourselves, I need Christ because of my shortcomings. And that's true. But the Apostle Paul was pressing it further, remember? There was this question we looked at together, what is it? The question still stands. The question's still on all of our plates. What is it that if someone were to come to you and say, tell me about yourself, what is it that you would point to to say, this is what it means, this is how I tell you that I am somebody? What is it that you would say to someone? How would you answer that question so that you would say, this is who I am? The Apostle Paul, you see, is reminding us that we oftentimes know that we need Christ because of our shortcomings. But the message of Christianity is more. The message of Christianity is that we not only need Christ because of our shortcomings, we actually need the Lord Jesus Christ because of all the good things that we think we've done. You see, the Apostle Paul is getting at our identity The Apostle Paul says, look at my resume in the first nine verses. Look at my education. Look at my accomplishments. Look at my education. Look at my intentions in the way that I have intended to do everything. You see, oftentimes we live our life thinking we might need Christ for our shortcomings, but let me show you my resume. Let me show you my accomplishments. Let me show you my education. Let me show you my intentions. Don't you realize we live in a day in which intentions almost rule everything? Well, if you just have good intentions, everything's wonderful. The Apostle Paul says no. God says no. You see, in Christianity, the best of what you think you can ever do, the best of what you can accomplish, amounts to a big pile of dung, rubbish. I can't even say what it really means. It's just crap. It's a big, smelly pile. The best of what I got is a big, smelly pile before God. I need Jesus not only for my shortcomings, but for all of my good things. As a matter of fact, all of my resume only communicates... How lost I really am. Because he goes on to say that he had to be found in Christ. You see, God looks at us through Christ. God sees what Christ has accomplished for us, and it means everything. So we are literally completely, completely found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not anything else. It's Jesus plus nothing not my resume, not my education, not my intentions. It's Christ plus nothing, and my identity is in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, the Apostle Paul says, I've actually been found. And that means that we ought to live every day with a constant sense that the best of what I think I can do, the best of who I think I am, gets me nowhere before God. To say it more explicitly, at heart, I am not a good person. I am not a good person at heart. The Apostle Paul says the identity that we get from Jesus in the first nine verses is actually connected to a much bigger story. Look at verse 10 and 11 of chapter 3 the identity that we have in Christ is actually connected to something much bigger. You see, every day I am understanding that I need to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. When the Apostle Paul wrote that, he had been a believer for over 25 years. You see, his identity being found in Christ was connected to everything about him all of his life. He thought, I need to know Christ every day more and more. I need to know the power of his resurrection more and more. If Christianity is just a way to make your now bearable, if that's all you think Christianity is, then Christian, all Christianity is is a crutch. It's a meme. That's it. But the truth is, is that Christianity is connecting to, us, to everything. The big story of what God is doing so that every day I live my life, not just because Christianity makes my life bearable. Actually, what happens is, I have a present power from a future glory at work in my life. That's knowing Christ every day. That's wanting to understand the power of His resurrection all the time. I have a present power at work in my life It's based on a future glory. And I live my life connecting to that every single day. So you see, Christianity doesn't make us lazy. It doesn't make us not wanting to exert effort. Not thinking about my job through bringing glory to God. Not wanting to just become a couch potato. It's actually what enlivens and strengthens us to work. Because we see that every day I know that I'm going to need the Lord Jesus. And every day I get to experience the power of His resurrection. So that, what we looked at last week, 12 through 21, so that we would press on. You see, we have been so radically changed and so reoriented. Our hearts are reoriented toward hope. To such a degree that we press on that's what Paul says in verse 12 through 21 of chapter 3 we press on we press on in our lives meaning we pursue with aggressive action we press on we gather all of our lives into one burning focus the Lord Jesus We gather up everything that we are, all of our callings, all the circumstances of our lives, all of our dreams, our past, our present, and our future. We gather up every single thing every day. Our money, our recreation, our families, our our future, our singleness, our, our spouses, everything we gather up and run it through one focus. Christ. And don't forget, God makes it explicitly clear. The reason why we're pressing on, the reason why we're continuing to hold on to the Lord Jesus Christ is because, because He has laid hold of us. So God says, stand firm. That doesn't mean that standing firm is, okay, well, I need to go back to my resume. I need to stand firm on my accomplishments. Nope. Standing firm is not leaning on our resume. Standing firm is not white-knuckling through the circumstances and the difficulties of our lives. Standing firm is not indicated by how tightly I'm clinging to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, this means so much because we live in a culture that is anchorless. We live in a culture in which everyone seems to be wandering. We live in a culture in which people think that there's nothing bigger than themselves. And standing firm means that we are standing firm. Our hearts are connected to everything that the Lord Jesus is for us. Standing firm means that Christ is my righteousness. Standing firm means that I have a present power because of a future glory. Standing firm means that Christ has laid hold of me. You see, that's what the Apostle Paul means in verse 1 when he says stand firm. Notice the little phrase after it, in the Lord. He's wanting us to remember everything that he said in chapter 3 and connect it right now connect it plug it in connect it to our lives so that we understand that we are standing firm in all that christ is for us now standing firm is not just connecting us to chapter three is it standing firm is in chapter four and the apostle paul is actually pushing us forward into chapter four He doesn't just want us to think about everything that he said. He wants us to think about everything that's forward and ahead. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul immediately brings up, get ready, conflict. What does following, walking with Jesus look like when it's hard? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us what's hard. There's conflict. There's conflict going on. Surprise! There's conflict in the church. Surprise! I meant that as a joke. I meant that sarcastically. You see, the church of the Lord Jesus is not where perfect people gather together. The church of Jesus Christ is exactly the same today as it was back in the first century. It's made up of sinners. It's made up of people who mess up all the time. It's made up of people who have a tendency to not get along with others. All of us have been hurt by the church, perhaps some more than others. But it's true, isn't it? The church is made up of sinners. And the Apostle Paul particularly points out yodia and Syntyche. As a matter of fact, he tells them that he wants them to agree. In other words, what is he assuming? They don't agree. There's conflict. In the church it should be no surprise that right that right as the Apostle Paul is saying stand firm in everything that Jesus is for you stand firm in that not so much dig your heels in as far as much as keep going standing firm is pointing to our hearts standing firm means that we might immediately, we might immediately think of and notice conflict. because that's what genuine that's what almost always happens. We're thinking about something wonderful and then immediately we just go back to conflict. The Apostle Paul points out Yodi and Syntyche because he wants us to know that there's conflict in the church and oh by the way, he loves them. Look at what he says about them in verses 2 and verse 3. They were women in the church that loved the Apostle Paul more than loving the Apostle Paul. That didn't even matter that much. They loved the gospel. They were committed to the Apostle Paul and the spread of the gospel. They were committed to the church. Most importantly, they were committed to God and God spreading His glory. They had given of their time. They had given of their resources. They had given of their energies. Their lives were committed to spreading God's glory. I think it's safe to assume that they were ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. It didn't say they held office anywhere in the church. They were regular people. They were loving God in whatever they were doing. They were understanding that whatever they were doing was to further the gospel. Paul benefited greatly from them. They benefited greatly from Paul. They actually benefited greatly from each other, Yodia and Syntyche. And Paul says they were helpful. He wasn't saying, you know what, this church is perfect in Philippi except for these two ladies. He was reminding us all that conflict is everywhere. He's reminding us that these ladies loved the Lord. And he goes a little step further. He doesn't just talk about Yodi and Syntyche and how they side by side labored with Paul in the spread of the gospel. He also mentions another person. Listen to this, verse 3. Yes, I ask you also, true companion. Are there other readings of this? We have no idea who this is. True companion is identifying someone. We have no idea who that is. But whatever's going on, Yodi and Syntyche are not agreeing. They're not getting along. And the Apostle Paul mentions someone else. We don't know who he is. The name Syzygous, which is the word, is not, you know, like a common name, you know. Maybe he's a true companion, true fellow, loyal, yoke man. Just all kind. We, don't know, we have no idea who this is. And maybe Paul did that intentionally. Because, you see, he's wanting us to connect our lives with the gospel. He's wanting us to stand firm. He's wanting us to recognize, oh, well, maybe I am in a position, since this person isn't named and I can immediately write that off, well, that's, my, that's not my name, so I don't have to do anything with that. Maybe he is purposely being generic so that we would read this, just like the other churches that would hear this from the Apostle Paul, and think to ourselves, oh, yeah, I have a role to play in helping out, in dealing with conflict in the church. Oh yeah, I'm here, I'm alive, I know these people, I know what's going on, I need to help where I can, where appropriate, when appropriate. Maybe he's leaving it ambiguous because he wants us to plug our lives into this and think about what's going on in our midst. And think about how God can use us as we are living out the gospel together. And maybe that's also why the Apostle Paul doesn't specify the conflict. Because it's too easy for us to hear of the conflict that they had and think to ourselves, oh, well, well, we would never. Christ prayers, oh, man, we would never argue about that, Right? Oftentimes these things are left very generic because we're meant to hear them and bring them home and apply them to where we are. There's some type of conflict going on and we don't know what it is because he wants us to think it has far-reaching application. Yes, all of us should think about conflict. All of us should think about how we can be involved to help others in the midst of this. It's true. And the truth is, most of us live the majority of our lives trying to avoid conflict now realize some of you out there really love conflict and you know you thrive off of it but most of us don't most of us spend an awful lot of mental energy trying to avoid conflict most of us spend an awful lot of emotional energy trying to avoid conflict we really do and even if we enjoy conflict at some point in time Maybe it's not so much the conflict that at times we have to enter into, it's the fact that it makes us feel awkward. And we don't want to feel awkward. So we just do everything we can to avoid conflict. Even if that means suppressing bitterness and hatred. Even if it means promoting some level of disunity that we can't handle. The Gospel of the world... The news that you hear every day, the message that our culture gives us is that there is actually a formula that we can all use to avoid conflict. You know that? We all live in the culture. If you haven't noticed yet, we are part of the culture. The culture gives us this message of how we can avoid conflict. It's a formula, it's made up of three ingredients. There are a whole lot of other ingredients that we could put, that I could tell you, but I'm just going to limit it to three. Here's how our world says to avoid conflict. Here's ingredient number one. You ready? See if this resonates with you at some level. Maybe I've just completely missed it this week. Completely swung a miss. Ingredient number one, project the identity that you think other people want you to have. Here's how you can avoid conflict. Just project what you think other people want you to be. Uh, What that means is you say the right things at the right moment. You make sure you connect with the appropriate people at the appropriate time. You just create this little friend base, and you just project. If you have to lie, you just lie. Now, it's going to be a little bit of a lie, but it's just a lie. just a little one. You just project the identity that you think people want you to be. And if you do that, you can avoid conflict because, hey, you're going to agree virtually with everybody. And you're going to know the right people and you're going to know exactly what you're supposed to say. So you're just going to say it. That's why it astounds me that, you know, we can have a thousand friends on Facebook and we can't have a conversation with anybody. We're great at projecting an identity that we think everybody else wants us to have. Meanwhile, it's eating us alive on the inside. Second ingredient is this. Stay shallow, people. Stay shallow. Stay shallow. The more superficial, the better. You realize how these build on one another, right? See, if you can project the identity that you think everybody wants you to have, then what that means is you're stuck trying to do that all the time. What that means is you constantly need to stay shallow because if you go any deeper, the truth might come out. So we want to avoid that. So we just stay superficial and stay shallow. Look at our lives. How many people do we talk with? Do we ever engage in real, honest, open ourselves up kind of conversation? It's a challenge. It's uncomfortable. It's a way that we try to avoid conflict. We stay superficial. And here's the third one, is that we live in a culture that's just once tolerance. Tolerance, tolerance, tolerance. We're expected to coexist with everyone perfectly. Just tolerate everything, everyone, all the time for any reason. And what that means is that we're actually living in a very unloving culture. Now, I know that may not make sense to you, but just think about it for a minute. Remember this. Remember that the final form, the final expression of hatred is indifference. You see, if all we do is tolerate all the time, and all we do is try to exist all the time, what that means is we're actually indifferent with everyone. We can't really have an opinion. We can't really share that opinion, because that opinion would be not tolerating. So that means toleration comes across as being indifferent. You just have to take it. And we are living in a culture that is increasingly indifferent because tolerance is so important. And actually what's happening is that we're living in a culture that is increasingly unloving. We are, in, we are constantly in a culture actually of hatred. It's really ugly. It really is. But it's all under the guise of, of tolerance intolerance is really just indifference and indifference is really just hatred and you see God tells us that he has something so much more God does not want his people to live like the culture he doesn't he's actually creating a new community where we live counter culturally you see we shouldn't buy into tolerance we shouldn't buy into indifference at all. The bar that God has for us is so far from indifference, it's not even funny. It's actually love. God wants us to love. He wants us to love in the way that He loves. And we could spend weeks talking about what that actually looks like. But He wants us to love. And what that fundamentally means is that we listen and we're patient. And we love people genuinely, from the heart, unconditionally. And that's hard. Because oftentimes we think, well, if we can just get this person to agree with me, everything's going to be great. That oftentimes is our posture. And God says that He wants us to love. Well, you see, the gospel really gives us the only valid way to identify and to deal with conflict. The gospel is the only way, the only valid way, that we can deal with conflict and identify it. That's why the Apostle Paul is reminding us, stand fast in the Lord in the midst of immediately feeling and dealing with conflict. Because it's everywhere. You see, sin is everywhere. That means that conflict is Everywhere. That means that relationships are messy. And that means that we shouldn't live to tolerate each other. It means that we should live to love. Live to love each other the way that God has loved us. That's why the Apostle Paul here says to Yodian Syntyche that he wants them to agree. Did you notice what he adds after that in verse 2? In the Lord. It's the exact same phrase that he uses to describe stand firm in the Lord. In everything that Christ is for you, stand firm in that. In the midst of dealing with your conflict, stand firm, agree in the Lord. Remember everything that Jesus is for you. I mean, how seriously can we take ourselves How seriously can we take ourselves if the best of what we can do, the best of what we bring, is a big, smelly pile? How seriously can we take ourselves? The gospel compels us to acknowledge that the best of what we got stinks, and therefore we can't take ourselves too seriously. We just can't. We have to know that there's going to be conflict everywhere because we start it. And we have to be able to acknowledge that not only times do we start it, sometimes we add on. And Paul is very passionate about this. Look at what he says in verse 1. He wants us to stand firm. He's told us how much he loves these women. He even adds, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. Paul cannot think about this body. Paul cannot think about this church without thinking about who they are before the throne of God. You're my joy and my crown. He can't think about them without thinking about being in the presence of Jesus forever. If none of that makes sense, maybe this will as we wrap up. Paul is saying, put your life, conflict and all, in the widest possible context. Put your life, put your conflict, put everything within the broadest story of redemption. Think about all that you are within the broadest reach of God's plan to redeem and save and renovate the world. There's something that's bigger than your circumstances. There's something that's bigger than the individual conflict that you may feel or experience and undergo. It's true. You're going to have conflict. You don't need to try to avoid it. You can't. I'm not saying try to cause it. But you're not going to be able to exist without it because of sin it's going to be everywhere and the Apostle Paul says don't forget that you belong to God maybe that's why he ends with such a powerful statement in telling us to stand firm in the midst of conflict he adds this tag whose names are in the book of life put everything that you are within the widest possible context of redemption, in the story of God's redemption. The book of life. This book of life and the gospel keeps us centered. Our names are written on His hands. I know you have conflict, beloved. You're going to. Me too. Just don't forget. Your name's are written in the hands of Christ. That every day, he stands before the throne to present your name and to say, I've loved you. These are mine. Now, if we can just keep in mind the book of life, it might help us understand our conflicts for what they really are. Because the book of life and what Christ has done keeps us centered. I just lost my job. But oh yeah, my name is written in His hands. I just got the promotion I've always been waiting for. I'm getting everything that I want. I get my dream job. Oh yeah. But what's more important is that my name is written in his hands I'm going through a really difficult time it's not easy there's a lot of stuff going on I'm stretched in a lot of different directions oh yeah but my name is written in the book of life I don't know the future and I'm terrified about the future oh yeah but there's the book of life I have this horrific conflict that's going on but my name is written in heaven and maybe the person that I'm in conflict with their name is written in heaven too and maybe if I'm not sure they need to know that I I don't take myself too seriously because there's something far more important to me than just being right. It's that I'm standing firm in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, your word is indeed powerful. Uh, it is life-giving. It does cause us to think and to wrestle with who we are. Lord, if if we live our lives and just or around people all the time that just agree with us and if we just expect you to agree with us and what we want then we don't really have you we have a God that we've made up and we don't really have friends we just have people gathered around us that are just really exist to promote us thank you Lord for speaking truth we need to hear that we need to stand firm in all that Christ is for us Thank you for being so plain, Lord, that conflict is everywhere and that we are part of that problem. Help us, Lord, to remember that what Jesus has done for us matters every single day. Help us this week to live for you, to stand firm. We pray this, Jesus, Because without you, we really have nothing. And with you, we have everything. Amen.